Look at this. Some poor schmuck's entire existence, his hopes, his, his dreams, his memories, his fears, his loves, his lusts. All reduced to one gray glob plopped in formaldehyde. Oh, man, is this any way to end up? Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode. Forever Night episode 12, season two, episode 12, Near Death. So I lied twice last episode. Last, come in 81 kilo. You misspoke. I said that last episode was Can't Run, Can't Hide was season to episode 10. It was not. It was episode 11. I also said that the episode where Nick confronts his own mortality was in two to three episodes. It's not. It's the very next episode. I knew it was coming up. All right. And uh, I, I oh, can tell Matt is ready. This. Matt has this glint in his <laughs> eye. Like, I just want to talk about this episode so bad. So let's just get into it. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is Come In 81 Kilo. I didn't giggle at the end. Well, I didn't giggle like immediately afterwards. Right, right. So. There's, there's a gap that hey, you can I'm cut out. Hey, I'm getting improvement, improvement. We're growth. We are growth. Be- between stimulus and response, there is a space. Thank you. You're welcome. And you're growing that space. All right. So this was, wow, this episode. Wow. The, I'm just going to start with wow, because I feel like that's an excellent place to start. Sometimes in this show, we try to tackle heavy themes. I'm not sure I ever saw them. I'm not sure anyone in the 1990s could have anticipated that the show was going to tackle death. The afterlife. The afterlife and what happens to you when you die. But here we are. Bold move. Bold choice. This whole episode was choices were made. So many choices were made. And you know what? Respect. We always respect audacity, oh, right? Yeah. And this has some pretty fucking giant audacity. Huge audacity, one might say. Because, yeah, we pull no punches at all. And we get LaCroix, not LaCroix, but who is also acting like LaCroix. We get like LaCroix light. Yeah, we get we get the guide to the afterlife through the lens of Nick's internal model of LaCroix. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, just befitting the theme that the only thing you take to the afterlife is what you bring with you. Yeah, like Luke in the cave on Dagobah. Exactly. Yeah. What's in there? Only what you take with you. So we open on a man in a field. Running, running through a field. Running through a field with a heartbeat in the background. You know what I was going through my mind in this scene? Okay, I'm ready. 
he's wearing jeans and a long sleeve button up shirt running through a field. He must be really sweaty. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I guess it depends on what the weather's like. Yeah. If it's dry and it's cool, then he might be all right. And this is in Canada. So if he's in a field in Canada in the fall, then he might not be too uncomfortable just full out sprinting in jeans and a long sleeve button up shirt. I don't know what it says about you that you saw this man being chased through a field with like a a high tension heartbeat sound in the background and you were like, is he sweaty? Is it cold enough? What's the humid? What's the relative humidity that we're working with right now? I, I was envisioning myself in that situation. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I can imagine he's. I don't know. Maybe the actor was sweaty. I don't know, honey. But he's running, <laughs> and then he falls, and they're screaming, and then we and cut. a shadow passes over him. Right, and then we cut to like there's a train going by, and Natalie's trying to yell over this train. And she's like, I don't know. There's no trauma. There's no scent of alcohol. I'm going to have to wait on toxicology because honestly, I've got no fucking idea how this guy died. I can't call cause of death right now. Yeah, I got I got nothing. I'm pretty sure he just dropped dead. And Nick is with her and he's like, wow, just dropped dead, huh? Is that your clinical approach to this? And then well, they walk. That, that's skanky. No, like, they, they walk over to Skanky, and Skanky says the same thing. Uh, He's okay. like, I think this guy must have been out Nick on a Skanky, date pass. They're on the same wavelength. I don't know. And we get this little, like, three-person shot here where they're all like, mm, I don't know. I don't know how he died. He just died of death. They're, they're establishing that it's a mystery. It's a fucking mystery, or it wouldn't be this episode, or it wouldn't be an episode of a police procedural, I guess. As an intro, because then we cut to the intro. And as an intro... This is probably one of our least successful. Yeah. I mean, I like Forever Night, obviously. They're and not I, setting the hook. And I like this episode a lot. But this just felt like, I don't, it feels like when I'm putting our episodes together and we forget to introduce ourselves, so I just throw the music in somewhere. Yeah. That's what this felt like. Like, I don't know, like right here, I guess, like right after they find the body. I think they intended the the hook to be the fact that it's a mystery what the cause of death is. Yeah. But it ends up coming off as, oh, just somebody uh, died. Yeah, I don't know. A guy like, died. We found it. Do you think ra- it's a murder? Rather mm-hmm. than the implication of, oh, there's been foul play yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, mm, uh, mm. Yeah, we go, mm, I don't know. You know. Mm. And then we go, <laughs> we just go into the intro. And then when we come back, we're back in the precinct. And Nick is like, dang it, I wish you would have told me it was Myra's birthday. I would have bought her something. And Skanky's like, it's fine. I already got her a present. Ice clampons and rope because she's going to take up ice climbing. (laughs) He's like, do you know how much 15 meters of rope costs or 100, whatever, 150 bucks is what it costs. And he's like, I think I'm going to hang myself with some expensive rope when she she's going to climb ice one time and then she's going to move on to her next expensive hobby. And then I'm going to have a 150 meter, uh, you know, clothesline to hang myself with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Skate. I know. And then he immediately segues to, don't birthdays remind you of death? Is that why you're all bent out of shape? Expensive rope? Nah. It's birthdays. They they just get to me. It's another year closer to the end. Myra has a birthday and you worry about dying. 
It's just that sometimes it hits you, Nick. Death means the end of... Uh, of you. I mean, doesn't that make you think? I try not to dwell on it too much. But what is it, anyway? I mean, how can you experience death if there's no more of you to experience it? I don't know. I've never died before. Would you just wish Myra a happy birthday for me, okay? <laughs> and Nick is like, what? What? <laughs> what? And Skanky's like, yeah, it's just one year closer to the grave, man. And Nick's like, honestly, I wouldn't know. I've had like a bunch of birthdays. I don't think about dying all that I, often. I don't, I don't think about it. He's like, don't you ever could like think about your own mortality? Because like when you die, you're gone. Like that's it. That's the end of you. How can, how can you know you're gone if there's no you to know you're gone anymore? You're just gone. And Nick is like, I, I don't know. I've never died before. Just tell Myra happy birthday for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get Cohen coming out. This is our like only interaction with Cohen. Poor Cohen. She's in her little zone of influence which is this like the 10 meter zone around her office door. And they happen to be in it so she can come out and interact with them. Yeah. And she's like, hey, that missing person was from the McCallum Neurological Institute. And um, you guys might want to go over there and talk to them. And Natalie wants you at the morgue. As in, this just keeps getting stranger. You guys need to go talk to her. And they're like, Great, thanks for the info dump. And uh, Skanky does get one like very '90s moment where he's like, "Oh, the neural, like neurological. Hmm, that's where all the crazy people the psych live. ward. The psych ward. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, thanks, Skanky. I had forgotten it was the '90s and we did not know how to talk about mental health yet. So I really appreciate that. At least we yeah. haven't called anybody a hooker in several episodes. Yeah, and um, I guess this is. Another episode where there's no suicide. Yeah, we just made a crack about suicide. That's my rope that I'm going to hang myself with. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yep. I'm... <laughs> Don't get desensitized. Uh, I'm... Stay in 2023. <laughs> it's a Stay reflex it. for me to just brush off the yeah. implication of what Skanky says. <laughs> I know. You're like, well, oh, it's just a joke. Well, okay. <laughs> Remember when we used to make cracks about killing ourselves all yeah. the time? Oh, that makes me want to slip my wrists. Yeah. Well, Look, it was a different time. It was a different place. There was a different understanding of the way that we treated that kind of stuff. And in this moment, we're in it. We're in the 90s when we're watching Forever Night. We have our context lenses on, but we got to take them off when we get done watching it. For the, yeah, for the analysis, like yeah. we we can discuss it, we enjoy it right. for what it is. Yeah, but then also recognize recognize like, how do we get better if we don't recognize? You know what? Hey, we have gotten better. We have gotten better. The conversations around suicide have changed so much, and there's more room to grow. But hey, we've grown. We're on a good trajectory. Yeah, my favorite new, not newish, but my my. One of the things that I appreciate greatly is it's now um, completed suicide. Yeah. Instead of committed, as if it was a a sin or an a, an intentional evil act or something. Right. It's more of like a, they did the thing, and we don't maybe judge them with our language about it. So, on the note of mortality. Oh, oh, good. Um, I, I like it phrased this way. Mortality isn't an event that happens to you in the future. Mortality is something you face every moment. Yeah. Because at any moment, you can die. Right. And the word fatal comes from the word 
fate because mm-hmm. you are subject to fate, which means at any moment an event could happen that is fatal, which means there's something that happens that you have to experience the consequences of. There's yeah. no way to stop it. And there's no like narrative in reality about like, oh, you just met this person and you're going to spend the rest of your life with them and you're so excited about what's going to be happening and then you walk across the street and get hit by a car right? and you die. And the universe doesn't care about that. Right. And so that's that's kind of my perception of re- mortality. Yeah. Is is not like a fear of death. In the future. The fear of dying of old age. Yeah. And then Skanky says, how do you... How how would you experience death after you're dead if there's nothing left to experience it? Right. And I've heard some people talking yeah, extensively that, yeah. about this. It's not that you fear death. It's that you fear a loss of agency. Well, you fear the idea of nothingness because a well, conscious yeah. being cannot conceive of itself not being conscious. Yeah. You think of death as an endless blackness, whereas that that implies right. there is a continuation of consciousness. And that would imply that you continue, but you continue in nothing. But the the idea that Skanky's talking about is that you are gone. You are simply gone. There right. is no endless nothingness. There is simply nothingness. Right. And so one one way people try to give you an analogy for it is, okay, what about before you were born? Right. There was nothingness for you before you were born. Right. And why is that not the same kind of traumatic? Right. Why is it not endless blackness? bracketed in the middle with brief mortality. Right. I mean, we just read Dune Messiah. I just read Dune Messiah. And um, one of the things that he says is, I I existed on this plane. I interacted with beauty. I occurred. I yes. am now nothing, but I occurred. And maybe you don't leave a mark on the sand, but at one time you did. And now you're gone, and that mark is washed away, but you occurred. But if we get into a discussion of mortality and death and afterlife, we're never going to make it through this episode. So if we could please proceed through the plot and we will cover this at the end. Good idea. If that's okay with you. Okay. Because I would like to point out and I would like everyone to start paying attention from here on out. We have acquired a new close-up camera. Did you notice that? I did not. Yes. So I don't know if we acquired it or if we hired somebody who knew how to do close-ups or if we borrowed the close-up camera from General Hospital next door, but we have gone back to being able to have extreme close-ups of people's faces in higher definition. Nice. And we get it three or four times in this episode. And we are going to get it. One of the most notable ones is Baby Baby, which we haven't gotten to yet, but they're having like a... They're having an interview, and instead of doing the, like, chin-up angle that we normally get for interviews, we're actually going to do face-on. And we get kind of the fuzzy, like... The bokeh effect? Yeah, the um, the almost soap opera-y, like, high-definition close-up effect. Mm. And I just want everybody to pay attention to that because it's here and it's here to stay and we're going to get more of it now. And so we got that a little bit at the very beginning when Skanky and Nick are talking at their desks. We were far closer to them than we have been in previous episodes. And it sort of changes the feeling and I think it gives us a little bit of season one back 
Because when we go to the Raven, which we're going to go to the Raven, we got a little bit of season one Raven back. We got our color, our like color gradient, like green to red to purple. And we actually got like close-ups of their faces instead of from, you know, far enough away that we can see both of them. Yeah. Yeah. But the toxicology has come back. That's why Natalie wants them at the morgue. And I love how she's like, that was my last gasp. Oh, pardon, pun intended or pun not intended about this was my last chance to figure out what happened to him. And honestly, I got no clue. She has no more leads for investigating cause of death. He died of death, but I can't put that down. It's like everything just stopped. Everything stopped. I don't don't know what to tell you. He had prostate cancer, but that didn't kill him. His brain just stopped. And the only thing that does that is death. Yeah. But I can't list death as the cause of death. Right. All right. So now we've we've foreshadowed like yeah. what all, happened. It took us all it's the way up to here. It's such a mystery and maybe maybe we'll explain this mystery during the episode. Maybe. Maybe not cuz we're going to head to the neurological institute now. And Skanky's like, "Oh, I got to talk to eggheads. Oh my god." And Natalie's like, "Ooh, ooh, I volunteer <laughs> yeah. I'll come. I'll come. I'll come." And they're like, "Okay, fine, Natalie. You can come. You can leave the morgue. You're allowed to leave your <laughs> cuz Cohen has her zone of influence and Natalie has Natalie's hers. on a field trip. Right. Natalie tonight. can exist at the crime scene and she can exist in the morgue and she finally gets to leave one of those two places where she isn't on a date where she isn't on a date with a man but she's out with skanky and nick so it's okay she has chaperones but i like skanky he's like looking at the brain and he's like everything you are everything you are is reduced (laughs) to a glob of a glob of gray matter in formaldehyde he's like this was a man's passion his loves his lusts his life and now it's nothing Natalie gets. I mean, Skanky gets some bangers in this episode where he is really facing his mortality. And he's the only one in the room who doesn't know that immortality is even an option. At the beginning of the episode, when they're at the precinct and Skanky's going off about mortality and birthdays and all that, I thought. Okay, this is going to be a like skanky rhetoric heavy episode. Yeah, and it is. And, and it, it is. It is. And it's good. It's needed. He hasn't been present. He's been present in a I will spur the plot forward, but he hasn't been present in a character building way in a in a couple of episodes. So it's nice to have him back. But they go to the institute, they take Natalie, and they're talking to the guy who runs the institute, which might be Dr. Alex. A dollar Alex. Alex something. Nystrom, I think. Yeah. And, I mean, he's in it like twice. So if you don't remember his name, it's it's cool. And and we're but, not going to see this character again anyway. Oh, we see him again. We I mean, after this episode. Yeah. Well, I think we see this actor again. But I don't think we oh. see him again. Yeah. So, but they're talking to him. And Matt is like, wait. Is everyone going to be there? Like the whole team is there, isn't it? The middle of the night. Why is everybody there in the middle of the night? <laughs> okay, so I was like, I, I'm going to mention this. Uh, we, we say to each other, "Save it for the pod." Yeah, and I was like, th- "This is a discussion worth having about this show because there's this premise that Nick only works at night." Yeah, and he's still like makes progress on investigations. Right. Sometimes we take that into consideration and as a as an explanation 
for how how do they make progress on this investigation when Nick only works at night? Oh, well, Skanky works swing shift, so sometimes he's working the day, and he does the investigating during the day, and then they hash it out at night based on what Skanky's dug up. And I, my like headcanon is a lot of the times when Nick is just off doing his own thing, not investigating, and then Skanky pops in. He's like, oh, well, here's what's going on. It's like, oh, Skanky's been working during the day. Yeah. Either like coming in early, like, you know, 3 p.m., 4 p.m. Right. So then he can actually go interview people during the daylight hours. And then they can, you know, hash it out and work out the details uh, overnight. Right. But this episode, we don't even try no. to cover up the fact no. that, oh, yeah, we're interviewing the entire, like, research team. At midnight. At, like, later, they're looking at the, the like, badge log. Oh, yeah, so-and-so left at, like, 2.40 a.m. And yeah. so-and-so left at, like, 3.25. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The, because everybody just works. Even the director of the Neurological Institute works at night. Works the night shift. Right. Sure. It's fine. Just roll. And it's it's fine because it this is you know suspending our disbelief for the the benefit of easing through the plot. Well, to play devil's advocate, they're supposed to be studying consciousness. So they could be doing sleep studies. And if they, they're doing sleep studies, then they need to be there. Someone has to be there overnight. Right. Someone. Someone. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> trying to get a little reason well, in here. So yeah. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to convey is for different media, yeah. for different genres, we suspend our disbelief right. for certain things to make the narrative more easily digestible. Right. It's like when you're playing like Dungeons and Dragons and you don't you're like don't keep track of your arrows. Your character would always have enough arrows. Yeah. We're not going to It just makes it more fun. Yeah. Right. It This it is removes... a terrible episode if they're like sorry, they're only here during the day and Nick doesn't get to interact with anybody. Right. right. Then yeah. then we have to have a lot of time yeah. overnight where Nick is like you know, doing the role play of the story to justify or to convey that he is a night creature. So it's like he spends half of his time on screen just in his apartment brooding. Yeah. Kind of thinking through what he's going to do when he like sneaks through the sewers that afternoon. Right. To go talk <laughs> to, you know, break into the the right. neurological institute and yeah. interview people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How'd so you get here? Mm. I'm I'm completely fine okay. with suspending disbelief about this entire like institute running at night. Overnight. Okay. Like yeah. long way around. There we got. We got to it in the end. So this is Naomi and Joel that they get introduced to. And Naomi is from Stargate. She plays in Stargate SG one. After this. After this, this is a few years before. Yeah. Stargate. And they're kind of the Very two. Very good show. They're two scientists who are, they were working with our dead guy who is Julian Wellner. 
And they're like, yeah, we're studying consciousness and they're terrible at rubber ducking. So thank God Natalie is there because they keep using really big terms. And then Natalie has to turn to Skanky and be like, consciousness, Skanky. They're talking about consciousness. And Skanky's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one I know. I know that one. And meanwhile, Nick goes off to go talk to Dr. Linsman, who I think is Patricia. Um, is it Patricia Linsman? No, I think it might be Diana. Uh, it doesn't matter. We call uh, her Linsman yeah. more often than we call her anything else. Yeah. So it's Dr. Linsman, and he has kind of an interesting interview with her because um, they don't talk about the dead guy very much at all. He's She's like, yeah, he had cancer, and, um, you know, it was terminal, and we were using this device that we've come up with as a way of, like, well, no, because she doesn't even talk about what the device does. She's just like, "Do you have you ever had a near-death experience or do you know what I'm talking about with near-death experiences? And he's like, yeah. She's she's the spokesperson for, I guess, she's the person in the group that can, uh, she's bilingual. Yeah, because right? she's talking about, and she's so, bilingual. Yes. And so she's not in the lab with them. Yeah. Because then Natalie doesn't need to be there to translate. Right. Yeah. I mean, and plus we get to have this conversation between Lindsman and Nick where Nick is. Nick Nick kinda, turns on the charm. He's kind of asking about the dead guy, Julian Wellner, but he's also kind of like, oh, near death. Tell me more. Because mm-hmm. Skinky brought it up. Hmm. And yeah. that kind of, that seed took root well, in his mind. He's a little have, preoccupied. We have a brief flashback of when he was being turned. There was more to it than just LaCroix bit him, gave him blood, and he came back. That there was a space between death and life that he briefly occupied. And she mentions it. I believe that there is a space between life and death. And we are studying Where that life space. and death become one. Yeah. And she says, you know, you're around death all the time. How do you handle it? And he's like, yeah. Poor Julian. I can't believe he's dead. Death is never easy to accept. Well, I've been around it a lot. I'll never get used to it. You see it all the time. How do you handle it? No better or worse than anyone else, I guess. No kidding. I've been around death a lot. He's like, no, no better or worse than anybody else. And she's like, you know, death is never easy to accept. It's something that it's such a huge mystery. And if we could solve the mystery, what could we do with it? And so that's what we're studying. Right. He's In like, addition, hmm. she she relates her experience at the ER when she first started yeah. working. And she had this set of patients where they had some terminal illness. They had, you know, they died, but they were able to resuscitate them. Yeah. And then they came back changed. They came back with this near-death experience. And so she has this line. And after all, people have come back. Not from the dead, I mean. I'm not sure I follow. Well, technically they're dead, but if the circumstances are just right, they can be revived. Resurrected, if you will. And every time they come back, changed. Transformed. They come back, changed transformed resurrected if you will and nick is like i know this intimately yes I'm tell aware. me more tell me more <laughs> i too so have come back changed. They're, they're changed you know <laughs> mentic- mentally and physically yeah oh oh they oh they come back 
changed mm. physically. Mm. 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 Yes. Oh, interesting. Huh. And meanwhile, Skanky and Natalie are talking to the other two scientists. And I love how uncomfortable Skanky is in this setting. Skanky is very competent in his zone of comfort, in his comfort areas. Yeah. But once we're in this, like, science, Natalie really, like, this is Natalie's zone. And he's he's a visitor here. And it's very clear. Because, like, he's like, what does this thing do? And the guy goes, oh, we use that needle to destroy parts of the brain to study behavior. And Skanky goes, not, not on people, I hope. And he goes, no, unfortunately, that would be unethical. And Skanky's just like, oh my god, what is it? Did this must feel like a mad scientist? Lawyer right. So for Skanky, Skanky, Skanky's very good at people and kind of stringing along a narrative and recognizing when there's an inconsistency. Yeah. In this narrative, he's constructing. He knows when he's being bullshitted. Right, and yeah. the and the stories people are telling him, he's like, right. "Wait, this doesn't line up." Right. Yeah. That's that's his skill set, and the, I guess, domain where he's comfortable, where where he has experience constructing this narrative in his head is like day to day stuff. Right. Um. You know, human. Uh, feelings and drives and actions and that kind of thing. Yeah. And he so understands people. This domain is completely out of his, like he, he doesn't have the language to communicate this way. Yeah. So he doesn't have a way to connect that. Like, what does that actually mean to people though? Right. You're saying these words, but what does that actually mean? mean what to are you people? actually saying to me? Right. What's right. the significance? What's the relevance? Yeah. What's the impact of this on somebody's life? Yeah. Meanwhile, the conversation Nick is having with Linsman has thrown him into a flashback. And this is another one where our flashback is portrayed as like in, in, intrusive thoughts because he keeps drifting off into these flashbacks they don't yeah. they aren't seamlessly integrated he leaves he leaves the building right we don't get flashback. his we don't get him just looking off up to the right yeah and fading into the flashback it's just like bam, bam it hits him right and this is when lacroix is coming in and jeanette is back in the dress from killer instinct they they dusted off the dress mm -hmm. and put her and Nick is also back in the dress from Killer Instinct. <laughs> and Lacroix has done away with the giant collar and weird violin, but he's still making the same offer, which is, you know, you have one lifetime right now, but I can offer you ten thousand lifetimes. I can make you immortal. I can take death off the table and you will never have to worry about it again. And that's what Nick is remembering when he's talking to Dr. Linsman. And then they get in the car and they're leaving because now Natalie and Skanky and Nick have to go back. They have to leave Deathland and go back to work. And Skanky, I love, I love Skanky's character so much because we portray him as such an everyman. Mm -hmm. As like we've we've spent the first part of this episode making him look a little bit ridiculous, dropping him into a setting where he is not fluent. And he's immediately like, they all did it. They did it and they know what happened. And they're lying to us. And Natalie goes, well, their stories were all the same. He goes, yeah, they were rehearsed. They they all had the exact same phrases. Yep. They all knew what to say. And so Skanky is like, I smell bullshit. Yeah, it's like when uh, in, was it the last episode with the um, Lieutenant Drake? Yeah. And 
yeah, he comes over and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I don't know this guy. And hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not yeah. used to seeing blood like this. Yeah. Uh, so I have to get back over here. And then he, and they kind of play along with him. And then he walks away and Skanky's like, he knows that we know that he's bullshitting us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he doesn't even ask the question. He goes, he knows we know that he's full yeah. of shit. Because he, he read the writing on the wall immediately. Oh, yeah. And again, he does. But in the moment, he plays dumb. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's just after they get out of the conversations, whatever. Yeah, he's like, "Dude, that was total BS." I mean, we could have easily made Skanky the complete foil. The I never know what's going on, and then right, given, the fool instead of the jester. Yeah, and given Nick all of the power in every investigation, that would have been extremely easy to do, because we're supposed to be seeing Nick as the far wiser, far older, far smarter character, but. We don't. We let them be a partnership, which I think is one of the strengths of this show. If Skanky had simply been the fool, it would not have worked. Right. It would not have aged as well as it does. Yeah, the village idiot would not have been a partner to Nick. No, no. And it would have been tiresome after a while. Right. As opposed to we rely on Skanky. Often Nick is off, off in the clouds, which he is most of this episode. And a lot of that is because he's immortal. He's concerned, like, the things that present as relevant to him in his just moment-to-moment perception are the things that are relevant to a mortal person. And Nick is mostly oblivious to that kind of information because he's been around so long. It leaves us feeling that Skanky is very much of the time and of the moment, and Nick is of no time and of no moment. Right, and he... Skanky is Nick's grounding into this time period. Right. Very much so. And then they're dri- while they're driving, we get another... It's not really a flashback. It's more of like a... He just drifts off. And he sees like a door of light. And there's a figure in the door. And this is when Nick or Skanky goes, Ground control to Major Nick. <laughs> it's like, can you please stay within the foul lines? <laughs> can you... You know he is so used to Nick's bullshit at this point that he's just like, not now, Nick, you're driving. Can you do that when we're at legally stopped at a stoplight or something? Like, come on, keep it together. Keep it together. Um, and Skanky really, I mean, he does. He says they think that he thinks that they all did it. And Nick is like, come on, that's just conjecture. Because Nick is taken in by this. Right. The Nick is preoccupied with the thing that uh, the thing about this research group that is most relevant and like personally significant to Nick yeah. is, oh, I could go back. Like they have a technique now. Yeah. I could, I could go back to that place. Right. Okay. That's what I, that's, that's what's that's most I salient right to me right now right. is I need, I need to pursue this. Right. And Skanky saying that they're the bad guys doesn't fit into this narrative. And so he's like, no, 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 that's all conjecture. And so Skanky goes, Natalie, help me out here. And I recognize this because I do this with you where <laughs> I have a, I know what I'm trying to say. I have an understanding of where I'm going. You know where I'm trying to go, but I need you to act as translator. Yeah. And so that's what Natalie does. Natalie says, well, maybe there was research going on that we weren't shown, which ends up being the truth. Yeah. So good call, Natalie. But then Nick goes to the Raven. He must drop everybody off. 
And then he goes to the raven because he's got to do some thanking. It's time for some thinking. And so he goes to the Raven to do some thinking. And, and, and poor, Natalie shows up. No, uh, or, Jeanette. Uh, Jeanette, poor, Jeanette shows up. Poor Jeanette. She is fucking turnt out. Deborah looks amazing. Yep. Her hair. I was going to mention it at the end of the scene. Oh, just. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. We get just a little bit of season one magic back. The Jeanette, Nick, Raven magic. Because she looks fabulous. And she has these gorgeous tassel earrings on. And her hair is just everything. We have not known what to do with her for a while. And now they finally hired somebody who was like, I'll take care of you, Deborah, no problem. And so she goes to sit with Nick. And she has to bring him back. She's like, Nicola. Nicola. And, and so she's like, Jeanette pops in. Oh, Nicola is here. I'll go have a chat with him. Oh, yes. And then... <laughs> She's like, Tuesday? let's let's uh let's just have some chat, light banter, light banter, whatever. Yeah. And uh, and as she's sitting down, she goes elsewhere. He, he says, "What he's was like, it like for you?" He's like, "What was it like for you?" And you can just when the tell quad the, turned like, you, and then she just kind of sits uh, down very slowly, like, like all right. it's, it's going to be one of those conversations." Great. Okay, yes, I'm um, bracing myself. And this is where we get our close-ups and we get our lighting. So in season yes. one, we had that cool lighting in the Raven where everything was like atmospheric colors. Right. And we're we're getting, one of the things I noted was we're getting like horizontal lighting. Yeah. Like lighting from the side that really highlights like, I don't know. <laughs> Matt, Matt's making like a gesture with his hand where he's gesturing over his face. That's why he smacked like the we, microphone. We get shadows around... Yeah. Um, like the, their face. Yeah, like the um, three dimensionality. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like a good lighting person. Like would a do. good lighting person yeah. would do. So, he is asking her, "Did you have a choice? Do you remember having a choice? What was it like for you?" And she says, "Of course." But Matt was like, "Oh, first she's gonna feel nothing, and then everything." She's like, "I felt nothing." And then I felt everything. <laughs> so <laughs> true. And Nick is like, "Well, did you have a choice?" And she goes. Do you mean death? Did you feel at that moment that you had a choice? Whether to live or to die? A choice. If you call death a choice. I, however, did not see it that way. Neither did you. Did I have the option to choose death? Or eternal life? She was like, maybe, but I didn't really see that as a choice. <laughs> like, would you like to die forever or live forever? Hmm. Right. And which makes sense because in the moment, she was full of this like righteous indignation yeah. about how she's been used. Revenge is the best revenge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, is that going on some merch? Oh, uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and for Nick, it was... Literally, the draw for Nick was, yeah. oh, yeah, you get eternal life. And Jeanette's like, and you get me. And Nick's like, okay, yeah. yeah. All right. Ooh, yeah. Let's do this. Let's get and this. so the, the draw for Nick was Jeanette, like a beautiful woman to spend eternity with. Yeah. That recognizes something valuable in him, right? Yeah. What man is not going to be attracted to that? Right. Uh, I guess what heterosexual man is not going to be attracted to that <laughs> and and so it's 
in the grand scheme of things, from his perspective, he doesn't have this like huge, you know, ball of something tied to the you know the mortal world right. that's p- driving him to go back. Jeanette, when she gets turned, has this big ball of unresolved vengeance yeah. that she needs to go act on. Yeah. And for Nick, he's like, I'm just trying to be a good guy in a slightly unjust world. Right. Um, you know, I he perceives himself as he's a knight, like on a crusade. Yeah, literally the crusade. The crusade. Yeah. And and so when he gets to the light, he's like, oh, like I don't have like unresolved drama back in my mortal life. Right. So I'm I'm pretty drawn in. And so then I don't think we get it this flashback, but the next flashback, like the thing that brings him back is Jeanette kissing him. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'll come back for that. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. That's <laughs> I think fine. this this really um reinforces a lot of the things about Nick getting turned into a vampire that are different from probably when like LaCroix when LaCroix got turned yeah. and when Jeanette got turned is when it came down to the choice of eternity yeah. through the door or going back and having like uh, everything uh, eternal life and yeah. power um, after a life of helplessness it's a completely different perspective right for well him. it's like so Lacroix predates Christianity right widespread Christianity so Catholic guilt not a thing not a thing he's like eternal life sign me up I don't want to go spend eternity in you know whatever afterlife I believed in at the time and Jeanette and Nick, to me, it feels like the difference between... So we have two cats that we've rescued. And one cat was a street cat, and she got picked up and brought in and made into a house cat. And then we have another cat who was raised and has spent his entire life as a fat-ass house cat who has never wanted for anything. And so you have Jeanette, who was on the streets. She recognizes the unfairness of death and the unfeelingness of the universe and of fate. The fact that in the grand scheme of things, your individual life is meaningless. Jeanette is very aware of that. Right. And so when she becomes immortal, it's a way of taking her power back from the universe. It's a way of making her life feel valid. In a way that yes. she was never made to feel valid in life. And then you have Nick, who comes from a fairly wealthy family. As a, a good-looking, hetero white, white man. Dude. Yeah, who comes from a fairly wealthy family, whose only real adversity was that he got to be a knight in the Crusades. And he has to go through just really the physical, uh, the physical acts of like discomfort of traveling long distance right on he was foot not and on horse. he's not a shovel the shit peasant in the crusades he's a knight in the crusades he is a fucking fat house cat who was offered some fish 
But in order to get the fish, he had to be turned into a vampire. And he was like, sure, fine, whatever, as long as I get the fish at the end. Right. Without really be, never being aware of the consequences because his life previously had no consequences. Right. But he had a sense of morality. He had Catholic guilt. He had Catholic guilt. Yeah. And that is what he has been. He's resting his laurels on his Catholic guilt for the yeah. whole rest of his life, which is, or on life, which is why Lacroix is like. Religious trauma, anyone? Yeah. Religious. <laughs> Which is why Lacroix is like, fucking get over it already, Nicholas. But I don't think Lacroix, I think Lacroix thought he was turning someone who was like him. I don't think he right, realized a little more worldly. he was turning a fat house cat who just wanted to go back to the comfort of being a fat house cat. Right. Yeah. He got turned out into the darkness and told, well, this is your life forevermore. You should learn to revel in it. And he's like, no, I want to go back to the spot where I have a window seat and I sleep on laps all day. That's what I want. I want it back. And he spent 800 years trying to figure out how to do that. But every time he goes to the door to be let in, everyone's like, no, you've killed so many other things. You are a wild animal. I'm not letting you into this house. And so that's basically it. He's a fat house cat going back to the door and trying to get back in <laughs> to get back to that that thing that he thought he deserved, which was comfort and light and just, you know, the the ease with which someone like a house cat moves through life. A cat is completely convinced of their own superiority, of their own morality. And so... That's why he keeps getting trapped because people keep putting out a box yeah. and saying, hey, here's a box you can get in. And he's like, oh. <laughs> ooh, ooh, okay. Yeah. Which great. in this case, the box is a way to become human again. Yeah. Yeah. And so he hops in the box naturally. So all that to say, <laughs> um, this is where we get back to the part where we figure out what their little device does. Because we've talked about the cortical tomography apparatus already. But we didn't know exactly what it did. They said it measured levels of consciousness. Well, it does more than that. It controls levels of consciousness. And so Dr. Linsman is, we see her in this desert. And she's running through the desert. And something grabs her ankle. And she starts screaming. And when she wakes up, she tells them that that was um, Julian. Julian. And Julian was trying to kill her. And this space between life and death, this liminal space between life and death has become far more hostile every time she visits it. Right. Yeah. And so we start to get the feeling that this is a place that like you inevitably go to when you die. Yeah. But it doesn't exactly like it when you keep, you know, poking your head through the door and then and then backing out. Right. Or was it Skanky calls it reconnaissance missions? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Nick is there. Nick overhears them talking because Nick leaves the raven Jeanette goes to like touch his hand and he pulls it away and he's just very dick leaves after showing up having this weird conversation with her and then leaving and I love how Jeanette's just like oh, another day with Nicola he does she does not chase him or try to save him at all well she doesn't know what's going on so right um but he overhears them talking about how they might have killed Julian because she's like did we kill Julian did we do that and they're like no 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 
No, we, no. The machine's perfectly safe. We slowed he, his brain down to absolutely zero and it didn't come back. And that's not our fault. It's because he chose not to not die. Obviously. Or it was. It must have been the prostate cancer. Yeah. It was. It, uh, 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 I don't know. It wasn't. Whatever it was, it wasn't our fault. Yeah. Whatever. Because that, that statement lets me bullshit myself into avoiding the thinking about what the real impact, like, that I might have done it. Right. So Dr. Lisbon goes back to her office and Nick just pops up. He opens the door and he's like, tell well, me. hello. He's like, tell me about your near-death machine. And she's like, oh, um, hi, officer. And she literally just starts telling him the truth. She's like, well, it controls consciousness. It recreates a, a state that you might call, say, oh, um, flatlining, which Flatliners is a movie that just came out in, in 1990. 1990. Yeah, just three or four years uh, before this. Which is this. the exact same premise as this, except without vampires. And, but with Kiefer Sutherland. So maybe vampires. Kiefer Sutherland's a vampire. Yeah. In Lost Boys. That's, hey, yeah. tie-in, fanfic. <laughs> and she's like, we don't call it flatlining, though. That's a movie term. But I'm <laughs> Because in this case, the way their machine works, it doesn't actually stop your heart. Right. It just slows your brain down. And she says they're experimenting with near death as a therapeutic device because she believes that people face a reckoning when they go to that space and they are able to confront their emotional or physical diseases and defeat them. And then they can come back and heal thyself. And Nick is like, okay, all right, I'm listening. And she's like, full disclosure, Julian died while he was on this machine, but it's completely safe. <laughs> um, and we did move his body, but what, like we didn't know what to do. They were going to shut us down. If they found out that our completely safe machine allowed people to choose to die while they were in it um completely unrelated to our machine at all he totally chose to die on his own i just want to put that out there um we would have got our our, our funding shut down so we just you know moved his body and nick is like look i don't i'm i'm i, I don't care about any of that yeah I, like, I mean i hear what you're like saying in, but i'm kind of like well i don't care it's like in uh which episode was it where he's they're talking to this guy, and the guy is speaking Nick's language. That's a lot and, of episodes. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it was like two episodes ago. Was it Father's Day? The one where he was like, I want to leave my family because I don't want to be a killer. Yeah, and Nick's like, I'm going to help him out. Yeah, that's the guy that's trying to flee. Yes, yeah, it, it's the the um, the like. Mob, the mob son, grandson, yeah. Episode, and the guy's like, "I just want to escape this thing that you know I'm being forced into. I don't want to become a monster, whatever." And Nick's like, "I totally hear you, and I'm a hundred percent in, and I don't care about anything else yeah. that's happening right now. We're gonna make this work. We're, we're gonna that, make this happen, you and me." Yeah. And that's the exact same attitude he has with Dr. Lindsman. Yeah. He's like, I hear what you're saying, and I'm 100% in, and I don't care about anything else that happens. Like, we're going to make this work, me and you. Yeah, exactly. Because he's like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. And she's like, mm, don't knock it till you try it. And he's like, don't threaten me with a good time. Because <laughs> then he remembers the door again, but he remembers there was a figure in the door. And a it told guide. Him, a guide. A female guide. 
And it told him that he had a choice. And he's like, I want to go back. I want to see it again. So he goes to talk to Natalie about it because I think he realizes he's drifting and he needs someone to try to talk him out of it. So He, he goes, needs to touch grass. He needs, yeah, he needs to touch grass. So he goes out to talk to Natalie. And Natalie, I think this is hysterical, is talking about how she doesn't believe in the supernatural while talking to a supernatural immortal creature. A literal vampire. A literal vampire is sitting on her desk act, asking her about the afterlife. And she's like, you know, I only believe in science and the things that I can prove. Okay, Natalie. Prove this. That's, that's fine. And he's like, listen, there's something that I never told you about the night I was brought across by La Croix. And so he goes into this like... I got to walk through the desert in a very see-through white robe. <laughs> I told you when we saw Nick in the sunbed that that was as, as close, but not as close as we were ever going to get to seeing Garrett Wynn Davies naked. We get to see quite a this clear, is clear pretty, silhouette. This is pretty close because he's got this gauzy white robe on. It is sunny. He's not wearing any kind of a... I mean, he wouldn't be wearing a slip, I suppose. That would be obvious if he was wearing a slip. But he's literally just... This This doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. Let's just put it... Let's just put that out there. This was a choice. Yes, it's a choice. This is a bold choice. And this is when we see kind of the full brought across scene that we've seen before. But we're getting, at the same time, flashbacks of him... Like in it's like a meta thing because in the flashback, he's remembering what it felt like to die, what it felt like to go through death. He's remembering the light and seeing the guide and the guide telling him, you know, you have a choice. You can go back with that dude or you can come with us. And if you come with us, you'll die, but at least you'll die immortal. But if you go with him, you get to be a vampire. And he's like, so what you're saying is if I go back, I get to be with that chick. The, the, the hot chick that brought me to the room and they're like, are you even listening? Are you, are you listening to what I'm saying right now? And he's like, sorry, but I, I think I felt some boobs on my arm. I'm no, not really listening right now. Do you not right see now. this diaphanous gown I am wearing <laughs> and the curves? <laughs> Who wouldn't want this? I love how the guy, the afterlife, attempts to tempt him with a woman. Right? His guide but is not because, himself. Because his guide it is, is a man. His mind. He isn't a man. It is his mind that is like creating the temptation forming the guide yeah and so of course it's a woman of course should have made it a naked woman and then he'd have been like well i don't know that one's wearing a dress and that one's naked right. I think it, with the naked it one. should have been you know a scantily clad woman like with the beckoning finger diaphanous i'm sorry <laughs> i was still lingering on your my diaphanous gown. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, you know, a uh, scantily clad woman, you know, giving him, giving him the beckoning finger from yeah. the other side of the door, he would have had no chance. Yeah, He'd be in the afterlife. Right. Yeah. He'd be like, "What did Jeanette say to him the first in the first one where we hear her? She's like, let let my darkness consume your light.' Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the metaphors. All they needed was a couple pithy one-liners, and he'd have been like, "Okay, I'm gonna go to the light now." <laughs> but instead, Jeanette kisses him, and he's like, "Sorry, but I'm pretty sure I'm about to get some, so I'm headed back that away." Okay. Yeah. And they're like, "Your choice, your choice, man." You do it. It's fine. And of course, Jeanette's wearing the dress. So I get it. I get it. 
And Lacroix is like, don't go to the light. The light is for weaklings. He, he will come back to me. The, the light is for dumb people. And we come back. We have Blackjack and Hookers and Jeanette. And he's like, ooh, okay. So he goes back. I mean, he becomes immortal. I just think it's supposed to show us um, how shallow the choice was. How shallow his reasoning was. Right. And that he's been paying the consequences for this one impulsive decision for 800 years. And because he asks the people, the light people, that he's like, what can you offer me? And they're like, um, the choice. I can offer you the choice. And he's like, mm, hard pass, hard pass. And he comes back to eat Jeanette's face because he's immediately <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> the makeout king just like leans into his role immediately. There's another podcast we've listened to, uh, Authors and Dragons. Yeah. And there's they just started a new season, like a new game with new characters. And the, the one guy is playing this character named Moog Face Eater. <laughs> <laughs> and in the game, uh, like a character's like, do you actually eat faces? And he's like, no, faces taste horrible and they take a long time to cook. Uh, it's just a name. <laughs> but I was like, I I know a face eater. <laughs> he's the makeout king, okay? Is it making out if he doesn't consume the entire lower half of your face? He's, like he's got his mouth all the way open and like completely covering like from her nose to her chin. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been re-listening to some of our older episodes because I'm trying to put together like a top 10. By the way, if you have a top 10 moment, feel free to comment like anywhere on the Instagram. Um, I've been trying to put together kind of like a, what are my favorite moments that we've had as we're coming up on some milestones in our other podcast. And I was like, oh man, there's an episode, a part in Dark Knight when he kisses Elise and I say, um, Garrett just goes for it. Like this is dramatic kissing is his wheelhouse and it's never going to get any different. So just learn to love it. Truer fucking words have never been spoken. Uh, you could watch him now and it, he's going to make out the same way. It's just this like, he <laughs> just completely consumes the lower half of their face. And that's what he does here. And then we cut back because he's done with his like, He's been reliving this, which I want to know. Did he describe the makeout scene to Natalie? He's like, then I kissed Jeanette so hard. Oh, my fucking God. I just like ate her face. And then we did it. And we did it like a bunch. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but like vampires can just go forever. And Natalie's just sitting there like, please don't. <laughs> please don't. But he's like, I have to try, Natalie. I have to try. Like, I have to go back and try to make a different choice and see if like, see if that works. Like, I have to give this a shot. And you have like to. Th this is. You have to let me. That's what he says. He goes. I have but to try, and you have to let me. The fact that he goes to her in between, like deciding he needs to do the thing, and then actually doing the thing. The fact that he goes to Natalie to touch grass. Yeah. Demonstrates that he's asking her permission. Yeah. He's. Um, He's seeking her approval. Even though he's not aware he is. Because right. he's like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do it. Okay? Just so you know. Just, I'm going to do it. And Natalie's like, like, oh, I mean, I don't recommend it. Not great. 
Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. And then we go back because Lindsman is arguing with Dr. Alex, the director. And uh, because Stargate lady, Naomi, has confessed. She told the director everything about how they accidentally maybe let the guy choose to die. And he's like, that's it. I'm going to shut you down. Funding's gone. And so he goes in to confront Lindsman. And Lindsman says the thing that no scientist should ever say. Because if you say this, this is probably a sign that you need this, to retire. This is a big red flag. You are an evil scientist if you say the following. Can't you see what we've got here? This could be an unprecedented medical breakthrough, not to mention the chance to explore the nature of life and death. You were hired to study consciousness, not play God. You can't stop us. This is bigger than you or me or any ethics committee. That's where you're wrong, Diana. This is bigger than you and me or any ethics committee. This is outside the role of ethics. Woo! All right. Well, um, ding, ding, you're done. That's your dinner bell. You're finished. Uh, because Nick calls. She kills him. She kills the administrator. He's going to shut her down, so she stabs him in the neck. Yeah. And then the phone rings and she picks it up and she's like, hello. And it's Nick. And Nick's like, can you bring your equipment over to my apartment and we can like do the thing? And she's like, I fucking do want to do the thing. And so she packs up her equipment in what must be a U-Haul because that's. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole fucking desk. It's a whole fucking desk. It's not just a little headpiece. It's like a whole like, thing. When we get to Nick's apartment, we see the little thing on his couch. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is like. It's supposed portable. It's like, nice and portable. Oh, this could be in every home in America. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope. It's like um, when computers used to be like the whole wall. Yeah. And you'd only see the terminal, but behind there's all the servers. Well, yeah. that's just the terminal. And then she has her desk. Which right, there's a whole the desk with yeah. screen and box, metal boxes with lights and whatever. Right. Yeah. And meanwhile, they found the body and Skanky and Natalie are at the crime scene. And Natalie's like, hey, where's your partner? And Nick, or Skanky says, well, Nick called in Oh, he, he called out. He's got that he's flu got that's that going, around. going around. And Natalie's like, what the fuck? Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> Sirens going off Sirens inside start Natalie's going off and, Oh, shit. Because she just had a very concerning conversation. And now Nick is pretending to have the flu. And then we cut back to Lindsman at Nick's apartment. And she's like, listen, I just want you to know before this starts, nothing can go wrong. Remember how that guy died? That was, he chose to do that, okay? That wasn't the It wasn't because fault. of the machine. It, this is completely safe. And so Natalie's alarm bells are going off so loud. She's like, skinky, skinky, where's the machine? Where's the machine? Right, and so she's like, hey, other medical examiner, can you do finish the prelim for me? And yeah. she just yeets out of there. Yeah, she, and Skanky's like, wait, where are you going? Right, so she, she, because she goes up to um, like Naomi or one of the other scientists and she's like, where is it? And he's like, I know all about the machine. I where, know where is it? it? Is. Just tell me where it is. And he's like, oh, um, like room 204. So she runs down and she goes, she like slams the door open and she's like, it's God. And then she just runs to the elevator and Skanky's like, Natalie, what is happening? And Natalie's like, there's no time to explain. Nick's in danger and there's no time to explain and Skanky's like great we'll take my car Natalie okay if this has something to do with Nick and he's in trouble I want to know as in now there is no time to explain it all here Skank okay we'll take my car Skanky's such a bro I love Skanky because Skanky's just like alright okay you told you said the magic word Nick's in trouble let's go do it it's fine 
let's go. And so uh, Linsman is confessing to Nick now because Nick's on the couch and he's gone under. He's got his head in the machine and she's like, listen, just while, you know, while you're asleep and you can't hear me, I just want you to know I killed the director of the Institute. It was kind of an accident. He was being a dick. I told yeah, him I was above you, ethics and he didn't believe me. And I just stabbed him in the neck. I don't and know. You have to go through this so that you can convince other people to continue our work. Right. I'm done. I'm going to get convicted. But I need you to be the voice to tell people to keep doing this. I really feel like Nick should have disclosed some pertinent information to her before allowing himself to be hooked up to this machine. Because immediately the readouts start changing and she's like, that's not right. That's not human. Why is it taking so much energy? That's not right. Because What's Nick, going on? Nick wasn't like, hey, listen, there's some weird things that might happen. Um, he didn't know that when his conscious brain went to sleep that the vampire would go to sleep. He didn't know he wasn't going to freak the fuck out and right? go on a murder spree. Right. He had absolutely no way of predicting right. he, how that he should have, have said something down. like we should tie me down i have some weird physiology yeah uh, i don't really want to get in the details of it but some weird stuff might happen when when this machine turns on yeah but then the screens go blank and we cut to nick because now he is awoken on the beach thankfully the diaphanous gown did not come with him. You get to go to death in the closure wearing, apparently, which in this case is, of course, a vest. And so he's, well, his vest is unbuttoned at least. So it's a little bit more casual, casual, casual. And so he's on the beach and Nat is, and Nat and Skanky are in the car and they're headed to Nick's. We're flashing back pretty quick here. Right. And Natalie's kind of Natalie has brought Skanky sort of up to speed. And Skanky's like, hold on, Nick could be dead? We need to go ahead and call for backup. We need a lot of people there right now. Like, we need everything. We need an ambulance. And Natalie's like, don't. I promised Nick. And you need to promise, too. And you need to promise, too. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's about Nick. And Skanky's like... We have to go around back. And Skanky's like, oh, am I going to be going around? And Natalie's like, yes, Skanky. And he's like... In your mind, go around the back. Say no more, fam. I got you. He's like, okay, all right. I'm in. And so Nick is back on the beach. We're back to Nick. And he sees a figure standing by someone on like a slab on an autopsy table kind of situation. And it's McQuaw. LaCroix in, I wouldn't even call this an outfit. I would just call it a choice. The whole thing is, hey, this whole, the theme of this episode is choices. The, this, this whole episode has been a bold choice. It's been a bold choice. This, why did they put him in like a turban and vaguely ethnic clothing? Because they're in a desert. This is so 90s, I can't even. Because this is the... Everything not American is mystical. Right. You know, like the Native American episode that every single 90s television show gets. This is the, ooh, it's, you can tell this is woo-woo because he's not wearing a suit and tie. Right. <laughs> okay, fine. I mean, we'll just, we'll just pull a set, we'll put that on the plate and we're just going to leave it there. All right. Um, and he's like, how come you're not a woman anymore? I would be far more comfortable conversing with a naked woman. Can you be a naked woman? And Nick, and, uh, Nick's subconscious, which is what this figure is, is like, sorry, but I mirror 
you know, I mirror the evil that is infecting you. And it's Laquaz I mean, evil it, that's infecting you. It is you? the guide from the other side. Right. But it's it's formed it's by like his in contact where it's yeah. using his mind to right. uh, shape its his perception of it. Right. And it also shapes his perception of what he deserves as well. Right. His subconscious, the only thing he only thing that's there is what he brought with him. Right. So the subconsciousness, subconscious form of Lacroix, the the voice in his head that is Lacroix is what forms this figure into Lacroix. Yeah. And I think even the statement like it's because Lacroix's evil is what's infecting you is also a subconscious projection. Because Nick never sees that evil as his own. He always sees it as something that's infecting him, something that has happened to him. Not something he has done. Not something he has done, but something that has been inflicted upon him in which he much must cure like he can cure a disease. Right. And he's suffering from it. He's suffering from a thing that happened to him, yeah. not a thing that he chose, which is also a little bit about the theme we're having here is you've, you chose to become a vampire. You can't just turn around and make a different choice and make that other choice just go away. You don't get to you don't get to just be like an oopsies, white out the last 800 years and let me just die as a person now. I'm right. sorry I made the wrong choice. There was a woman, it was a whole thing. And the the figure that we'll call the qua for shorthand here. Um he's like, "Yeah, I'm a guide. You've called me a guide. Let's let that be sufficient. We don't need to define me." I'm one of many. That way we kind of, we don't ground it in a particular religion. Right. Sort of. <laughs> and <laughs> he's like, well, I could be immortal right now, right? Like, do I have a soul? I could just go ahead and die and this could all be done with and we can be finished. Like the guy did in the last episode, you know, Can't Run, Can't Hide, where he was like, I did my thing. I paid my dues and now I'm going to just burn and be done. And he's like, well, you could, but this is what your soul looks this like This is right the soul now. of a vampire. Yeah. And so he steps back and it's... Dead Nick. Dead Nick on the slab with like uh, somebody poured maggots on his chest. Yeah. Yeah. And Nick's like, ugh. No, no. That can't be me. Yeah. And then we cut back to Natalie and Skanky because we need to break this moment up a little bit. And Skanky's like, hang on. He wants to try this he wants to go through the whole near-death experience thing that's crazy right we all agree that's a little bit crazy it's crazy it is crazy isn't it yes of course it is and Lindsman's a suspect i mean why the hell would he let her get within a mile of him with this damn gizmo whatever the hell it is he's too smart for that well he's he's what he's complicated he's he's comp <laughs> he is playing with his life I'm curious what happens when we die, but I don't go on reconnaissance missions to find out. And Natalie's like, he's not crazy. He's complicated. He's <laughs> complicated. And Skanky goes, I'm curious about this stuff, too, but I don't go on reconnaissance missions to try to figure this shit out. And Natalie's like, I don't I honestly don't know what to tell you, but I really believe that Nick would. And Skanky's yeah. like, honestly, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And then we cut back and LaCroix is like, because Nick is like, hang on, you can't, what's going to happen to me? Like, what, what's going on? And LaCroix says, you know what, we don't sit in judgment. We don't accuse. We're just telling you the truth. This is not what I am now. We do not sit in judgment of you. 
We do not accuse. The truth is simply the truth. It must be confronted. It must be accepted. I'm just giving it to you straight. And you got to confront it and accept it. That you've done some really heinous shit, dude. And you can't just wipe that slate clean with a couple of good deeds. Right. So one of the things I was thinking when we see the body on the slab is like, okay, in the context of Nick's life experience, let's look at this symbolically. Okay. We have the dead body on the slab. We don't really have a comparison for what do the souls of other vampires look like? Yeah. Do they look the same? Or is Nick's whole quest to for humanity, uh, has it, that actually had an effect on his soul? Right. Compared to what, like, Jeanette's soul would look like. Yeah. And I thought, well, what if the dead body is just the soul is, you know, dead yeah. and decaying? And what can the maggots symbolize? Okay. Well, yeah, through Nick's life experience, maggots are have been used a lot medically yeah. to cleanse the dead flesh from a wound. What if in this representation, the maggots are Nick's attempt at atonement? Uh-huh. They're cleansing the dead flesh. They're removing the dead, rotten flesh from his dead body. Yeah. Maybe reviving body. I don't know. Mm. But like his initial disgust at the maggots. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, this is not a like new novel use of the maggot as symbolic representation. But, uh, yeah, what, what if he looks at it and is disgusted at, like, the whole context, but he's not looking at the – he's look, not looking at it close enough to notice that all of his efforts over the last, like, hundred years yeah. are the maggots. And if he looked close enough, he could see that the maggots are removing dead flesh with living flesh underneath. Yeah. Right? Just, you know, going off into speculation land because right. that's what I like to do. Right. And and so maybe like later when he's thinking about it, you know, in another hundred years, whatever, he could think, oh, maybe that's what was going on. Maybe I what I'm doing is actually making a difference. Right. Well, I think so earlier in the episode when they're talking about why Dr. Lindsman might have not come back or why Dr. Julian might have not come back. Lindsman says Maybe it's because he never really believed he could confront and overcome his cancer. So implying that belief plays a large role in what happens in this liminal space, this space between death and life. So maybe it's not that his soul is rotting. Maybe it's that Nick perceives his soul that way because he doesn't believe he has done enough to overcome the evil that he has committed. It's like in Lucifer where... Uh, it's self-actualization. Uh, yes. A, a, yeah. Yes. Angels so are self-actualizing. His belief shapes what he sees. So the only thing he's bringing to this space is what he's brought with him. The only thing stopping you is yourself. Right. He's not... 
an, an exterior force is not sitting in judgment of him. He is sitting in judgment of himself. Right. So if he submits his soul to death at this point, believing that he has not done enough, and not, without really admitting to himself that he believes he has not done enough, the only person judging him will be himself, and he has found himself wanting. Yep. So if he moves on right now so right after this he turns around and there's a whole field of crosses and Lacroix is like gaze upon your field of fucks in which you have many you have so many fucks to still give Nicholas and he's like um well isn't it enough haven't I not have I not done enough haven't I erased this haven't I haven't I fixed it and Lacroix is like you know the answer to that I must finish it here and now that is your choice. So be it. What is it you're not telling me? It is what you're not telling yourself, Nicholas. Do you wish to proceed? Yes. Because it's the answer you've already given Why yourself. Why do you ask a question to which you already know the answer? He's like, how can it be enough? Can you raise these victims from the dead? You know I can't! <laughs> and he's like, what are you not telling me? And he's like, what is it you're not telling yourself? Which is really the answer here is yeah. there's the only thing that he's seeing is what he wants to see, what he actually what, believes. Or what he thinks he needs to see. Yeah. Which is that he hasn't done enough. He's not finished. Right. He has more work to do. He has more fucks to give. He has yeah. more good to work in the world to balance. This is like the Egyptian afterlife when um, your he your heart would be weighed against a feather. Yeah. And if your heart is heavier than the feather, you go to hell. And vice versa, if the feather is lighter. So if you have died with a light heart, if you have erased all of the evil, or if you have done as much good as you thought you could do, then you get to go on to the good place. Yeah. And uh, there's one quote that's like, the angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And this is right when Skanky and Nick, or sorry, Skanky and Natalie arrive at the apartment. Oh, but right, like right at the end there, the oh. existential Lacroix basically tells it. Maybe it's the. Is there another flashback where Lacroix says, "Like you haven't done enough." Well, he tells, and him. then Nick is like, "Oh, I need to go back." Well, he doesn't tell him you haven't done enough. He just says, "What are you not telling me?" And he says, "What are you not telling yourself?" And he's like, "I thought I did enough." And he's like, "Did you? Are these all these people all back from the dead?" Oh, that's funny because it looks like they aren't. Okay. I thought Lacroix said something really... like, you have more work to do. I mean, he does, but not really. Like, it, it's always implied. There's okay. not like a, you haven't done enough good, you're going to hell. It's like, well, do you think you can go be judged? How do you think that's going to go? Yeah. Imagine yourself being judged right now. What happens? What happens? Where do you think, what do you think that, and he's like, God damn it, I need to go back. And that's yeah. when Lacroix is like, sorry, last time you came here as a human, you had a choice. Now you're a vampire and you might already be in too deep. I'm not sure if you can go back. I'm not sure if you're or stuck like, here forever. You might have been physically dead too long to return. Yeah. yeah. Right. And this is when Skanky and Natalie arrive at the apartment and Lindsman's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know what to do. And Natalie's like, okay, okay, okay. Think, 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 think. And this is when we go back and Lacroix is asking him, like, well, what do you actually value? What is the thing you're seeking? What, oh, what? Humanity. He says humanity. He's like, what is humanity? Is it like a people, a species, you know, the collective group of, of beating hearts? 
And he's like, no, it's a state of being. It's being human. It's having humanity, having mortality. It's not just being mortal, that there's more to it than that. And he's like, there is much you have left undone. You still have a debt. He does tell him you still have a debt. Yeah. He says, you, you still have a debt. There are still things that you have left unpaid. Yeah. And Nick asks him a direct question. And I thought, this is so like Lacroix. As soon as he asks a direct question, he's like, Ooh. It literally just, fades into nothing. He just disappears. <laughs> Along with the door. Yeah. He's like, I don't know. Bye-bye. Just- <laughs> Figure out your own shit. <laughs> like only humanity can bring you back now and he just disappears and this is when natalie uses rat poison she like injects him with rat poison yeah she like extracts the strychnine from the rat poison yeah real so she can inject it yeah yeah she's like get me the rat poison a lighter and a spoon (laughs) and skanky's like okay and i guess she already she always has a syringe on her yeah i don't know well they the lady brought her whole equipment I'm sure there's a syringe in the equipment. <laughs> or she may have just had a syringe laying around Nick's. I don't even know. But Nick comes back. We get him back. And then Skanky confronts him. Oh, yeah, because strychnine in small doses is a neurostimulant. Right. And so it brings him back. He, like, vamps out on the other side. And he's able to come back once he becomes a vampire on the other side. I feel like there's a metaphor there. Like, accepting or embracing the vampire side of himself is what allowed him to come back. Yeah. And then Skanky confronts Nick. He's like, what the actual fuck were you thinking? Oh, I'm just being thorough. He was like, oh, know, I was for I the was investigation. Through, I, was, uh, I was doing the investigation. Skanky's like, uh-uh, nope. That smells like shit. Because it is shit. But what did you see on the other side? And it's <laughs> like, nothing. And he's like, God damn it, I knew it. I knew there was nothing. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I'm just going to cease to be. Don will be gone and there'll be no more skanky. Just the ripples that you've left on the world. Yeah, you occurred and then you were no longer. And so he ends up taking Lindsman. He's like, you know what's going to be good reading? Her psychiatric evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, come on, we're, going, we're headed off. And Natalie and Nick have their wrap up. Their, their final moments with each other because she's like, what did you learn on the other side? And he says, you know, forgiveness is not is something, not something you ask for. It's something you earn and you have to earn it among the living. And that's the end. That, that was a pretty decent line to finish it. I mean, it was a good episode. You had asked, and this is a very important thing for us to tackle, is why does Nick not just be done? If you think your very existence is evil... And that you are inflicting nothing but further evil upon the world. Why not just be done? Well, it's because he's not sure what's going to happen after. Or as like Joan of Arc said in the Joan of Arc episode, because you are immortal, you live in constant fear of death. But I don't because I know where I'm going. So here we are again. She knows the legacy that she'll leave behind. Right. And she is... And content in the knowledge that when what she's taking with her is only good things is only a life lived the way she felt was righteous as opposed to nick who in no way believes that right which begs the question jeanette does not believe that anything she's done is wrong and neither does lacroix right so if we're only judged by our own expectations they're better off than nick Right. <laughs> Just kind of, I mean, in this perception of the afterlife, just depending on what you believe or on what, I mean. Unless 
only like living souls, like vital souls can actually pass through the door. Yeah. Then maybe Jeanette and Lacroix, their soul is like so corrupted. Yeah. That they literally can't pass into the afterlife. That they'll just be done. Right. They, by fully embracing potentially eternal life, like on the mortal plane, you don't get the rest. Yeah. Whereas Nick, because he's been striving toward he's humanity. In a, he's in the liminal space in between. Right. His yeah. soul is in, still alive enough yeah. that, you know, the guide can recognize him when he shows up. Right. But if you put Jeanette in that machine, she'd just like go to sleep. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it. I don't know. I don't know. It raises a lot of interesting questions about death and forgiveness and our perception of ourselves and how much that shapes what we think will happen to ourselves afterwards, you know, uh, after it's all finished. And it's interesting that we chose to tackle this at all and that we used Skanky as the vehicle for introducing this theme. Is really Because it's all about Myra's birthday. Yeah. Myra's birthday spawns an existential crisis in everyone. <laughs> and would Nick have reacted to them the same way if Skanky had not primed him at the beginning of the night? If Skanky not. had not been like, well, what do you, what do you think happens afterwards? What do you think happens? Because Nick is already in that space when he goes to see them, mm -hmm. which he would not have been in if Skanky had not waxed philosophical about Myra's birthday and how that means they're one year closer to the end. I don't know. I think death is a really difficult topic. I think it's a scary topic. And I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, the vampire genre and death are intrinsically linked, right? Because the vampire is nothing more than, well, unless you, unless you really want to lean into the vampire as a metaphor for sexual violence, then you can also use the vampire as it's an outgrowth of humanity's uncertainty and fear around the idea of death. That we are far more interested in the devil we know than the devil we don't. Eternal life sounds a lot more appealing than what we have no idea about, which is what happens after death. Right. And I think it's interesting that this show chose to tackle that as a concept at all. And I think because a lot of times when we have these ethical vampire characters, they don't address that. They may say like, well, I believe I'll go to hell and that's why I don't die. But, eh, you know, we don't, we don't confront it in such a visceral way where he literally confronts his, his own soul. He's literally presented with his um, Dorian Gray portrait, his image right. of himself as, he, as his soul has become over the time that he has lived. And I think that's fascinating. Death itself is a very fascinating topic. And it's interesting that we watched the show like a week before the one year anniversary of my dad's death. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a very transformative moment. Not just because you lose your, you know, you lose your dad, but we sat with him for the whole week before he died because we knew it was coming. And it was a very like sacred out of time space, a very liminal space. We didn't leave exactly. the house. We weren't watching TV. We weren't experiencing the outside world. It was a very 
myself, my mother, and my sister just taking turns sitting with him. And niece. And niece, yeah. Sitting with him, being with him, talking to him, playing music, just existing in that space out of time. Right. A a very sacred space. It was a very sacred space. And it was a very um, profound experience to watch somebody die. I'm going to make it through this. I just need a minute here. You don't need to hold it together. I know. It's fine. Um, You know, because I don't know if anyone listening has ever been with someone when they're passing away, but there is a um, a sort of struggle, physical struggle, because your body is designed to continue to try to live. And no matter how much you, know, you can let go, it's okay to let go. There are certain physical processes you can't override. Right. So there's a way that someone who is, uh, you know, dying breathes. It's referred to as the death rattle. And it's, you don't, you're not swallowing anything anymore. So it's, it's rattling in your throat. And it's a very difficult thing to listen to. And that was probably the last two days or so. It was just hard. It's hard to listen to. And, you know, his last breath was not like that. It was just a sigh. And so I think, you know, questions of what happens after death are unavoidable, you know, because we don't know and we're inherently curious creatures. Humans are inherently curious. And so it's something that, you know, you no matter how much you say somebody died and then they came back and they, you know, they, they can relate their experience. It's still, if I haven't seen it for myself, how am I supposed to know? You know, how am I supposed right. to it's know? It's one of those things where you, you can't know what it is like. Until you go through it yourself, right? Because it, even just, even just being there is a transformation, right? And to know that it was a physical release, it was a physical relief, is enough. It was enough for me. You know that we'd gone from a place of struggle to a place of relief. Although it's interesting that an inherently Christian show. With a lot of Christian overtones, we do not acknowledge the idea that you can simply ask for forgiveness and you get it. That's a very good point. Because that's, I mean, that's the central tenet, right? All you have to do is say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and you're good. And mean it sincerely. And mean it sincerely, and you get it. Right, and who, who in this show more sincerely regrets their actions and you know, pursues atonement than Nick. Nick. Yeah. And yet we don't grant him the like Christian relief of instant forgiveness. Right. Which is really interesting. And an interesting um I mean that they tackled religion even adjacently is interesting. And then that we don't um, ascribe to the well you know what it's like in um there's in preacher so in preacher we oh, ev- boy. eventually are talking to hitler and jesus <laughs> and they're, because hitler has taken over hell it's a whole and thing they're, they're right. doing the so whole negotiation hitler and jesus are having a negotiation and jesus is like no no we got to keep that in and hitler goes hang on you're telling me that if i had just asked for forgiveness right before i died i would have gotten into heaven and Jesus is like, yeah, absolutely. And Hitler goes, that's bullshit. <laughs> that is bullshit. <laughs> so I respect any show that is going to even adjacently be like, 
Maybe it's not enough to just show up on Sunday. Maybe that whole line about just asking for forgiveness and getting it is a cop out. Oh, kind of like the taking the Lord's name in vain isn't just about saying you shouldn't say Jesus Christ when you stub your toe. It's about not using the Lord's name as a blank check to get what you want. So I'm going to leave everybody with that because it feels like we've gotten really heavy and we're at like an hour and a half. This was never going to be a short episode. No, no. And no. I knew when when we started having the skanky discussion at the very beginning about, oh, it always makes me think of my mortality. I was like, oh, we're going deep on we're, this one. We're going deep. Skanky and Nick go deep. That's this episode. Skanky <laughs> and Nick go deep. Uh, because, yeah, well, there's how, how do you talk about death with without depth? You don't. Unless you want to make it a joke, which this is not that kind of episode and it's not that kind of show. Well, I think dealing with it, the show itself is the light way of addressing it. Yeah. Because it's a 90s procedural vampire cop drama. I mean, mad respect for working it in in a way that doesn't feel shoehorned. Right. I mean, I completely believe that right. Skanky would be this like, is what do the, you think about death, Nick? The light discussion about deep philosophical existential topics yeah. is addressing it in this show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you know, the only way you can discuss these deep things because getting into the the distancing yourself from it just enough to say, to, I don't know, like maintain plausible deniability about like, oh, we're just discussing this hypothetically. Yeah. Just adding that distance of slightly humorous sarcasm or in this context, like in as the narrative of a TV show or whatever, you need that distance when you're discussing it so that you don't bring along your personal identity with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have a buffer. Right. Whereas if you just confront somebody directly. Yeah. What do you think like, about death? Right. Yeah. Then then it's your own personal identity that you're bringing along with the discussion. Right. And, and a, a, a fundamental rule of dialogue is that you never make concrete assertions about how the other person should um, experience something. Emotionally healthy dialogue. Yes. Em- emotionally healthy dialogue. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because if they if they say that's not true, you've made both parties out to be a liar. Right. If, if yeah. I say something to if I say, Rachel, you're feeling this way, you only have two options. Either you suppress what you're actually feeling and just go along with it. Or you tell me I'm a liar. Either I make myself a liar or I make you a liar. Yeah. Yeah. And and that uh, that's a thought-terminating cliche. Yes. And here's where we're going to end it. We do have- <laughs> For real this time. For real this time. We do have a merchandise store. A merch store. We have a hunk in the trunk sticker. We've got a Home of the Nightcrawler sticker and t-shirts and all kinds of different stuff. You can find it at strangeandbeautiful.club under and the merch tab. And if you- participate in the giveaway oh yeah we have a giveaway coming up 
this week. So if you aren't on Instagram already, go find us on Instagram because it's happening on Instagram. And uh, I haven't figured out exactly how it's going to work yet, but I'm going to get there. And I'm going to go get there probably right now. So I guess until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.